When you hear the word Christian, what comes to mind? Depending on your background, your life experience, just your interaction with the American church culture, it can mean a lot of different things for you. For instance, maybe you grew up in church or maybe you've been in the church world for a really long time and the idea of the term Christian for you is a term that's warm and fuzzy and has all these connotations of things that are, you look up to, right? Like maybe for you, you immediately picture the person you remember from a kid or the person next to you who during worship is, is raising their hands and pouring their heart out for their love for Jesus, Maybe you think of the person in your family or someone you know who would either wake up early or stay up late and to spend time reading scripture or, or praying for other people. Maybe you think of the person who willingly sacrificed and laid down their wants and their desires to be able to serve people in their community and in their state or people all over the world. For you, if you think of those things, the idea is that it's warm and it's, and it's fuzzy and it's somebody you look up to and admire and respect. But for some of us at all of our campuses, the term Christian could have an opposite meaning. We could have some baggage. Maybe we were hurt by a Christian or hurt by the church. And so the idea of the term Christian, instead of these warm and and fuzzy feelings, it's these feelings of, man, all I can think about is somebody who is self-righteous, judgmental, and hypocritical. Somebody who, well, all they seem to really care about or want to do is to tell me how I'm a sinful person and all the things I'm doing wrong and how much better they are than I am. Depending on your experience and your circumstances and your life history, you could view the term Christian very differently. And here's what's interesting. I think being uh, in 21st century American culture makes it even more difficult. I think that term Christian has an incredible amount of baggage with it in our culture. Why? Because I think for all of us, whether it's a good term or a bad term, however we take it, I think all of us at some point in life have interacted with somebody or several people who have professed to believe in Jesus, professed to be Christians, but lived their life as if he didn't even exist and were just like everyone else around them. Because here's what I know. Believing in Jesus is different than following Jesus. There's a difference in the two. And in fact, what you see in scripture is it's interesting that all throughout scripture, when Jesus calls people to him, he doesn't say, I'm calling you to believe in me. And in fact, what we see in scripture, take a look at this this verse with me real quick. This is from Matthew chapter nine. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in his tax collector booth. And what does he say to him? He says, he says, follow me and what? Be my He says, follow me and be my disciple. Jesus doesn't say, follow me and believe. He doesn't say, believe in me. Jesus, you get this sense when you read through scripture, when you work through the first four books of the New Testament, the gospels, you get this sense that Jesus, when he called people to something, it was much bigger and grander and more purposeful than just believing in him. Now, I wanna pause for a second to make sure we're clear on what I am saying and what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that believing in Jesus is not important. 
In fact, what we see all throughout scripture when Jesus teaches and when Paul and the other writers of the New Testament talk about kind of the entry point to the Christian faith, they tell us that believing in Jesus is essential. He is the way, the truth, the life. No one has eternal life apart from a belief in Jesus, a saving belief in him. But for Jesus, what we see in the gospels is believing in Jesus was the beginning of something, not the end goal. Belief was where things started, right? And that's the difference, right? You can believe in Jesus, but that's very different than following Jesus. There is a difference between the two. And so what I wanna do this morning, if you are joining us for the first time today, we are in week three of a series titled Together. And what we've been doing is for the month of, of August, we've been taking some time and looking at what it is that we believe as a church that makes us unique. What's our, our mission, our, our values, right? The idea that we exist as a church to make a difference for one more. And our, our values, we, we are people who invite, we are people who gather, we are people who serve, and we are people who give. And all of these things are things that we think make us unique and different from every other church that is out there. And it's about who we are and what we do. And we're talking about collectively as a church, but also individually as people. And as part of this, we're looking at where we see God leading us as a church and individually as people over the next couple of years. And if you've been here throughout this series, for those of you that were new, just to, to catch you up, you'll remember that we said from the very beginning that we believe as a church that God, the God we see in scripture, the God we read about, the God we worship, is a God who is big and bold. He's a God who does crazy bold things like parting seas and all these other things. He is an audacious God. And what we said is from the very beginning is if that we believe that God is bold, then our actions should match our belief. And so therefore, if we believe that God is big and bold and risk-taking and daring, we should be a church and the type of people who are also big and bold and daring. And we've said week after week that as a church, we wanna be the type of people who are kingdom-minded, Big dreaming, bold thinking, risk taking people who make a difference in the kingdom of God. And so over the last couple of weeks as we talk about that idea of boldness, we've been sharing with you just a, a couple of things we sense God leading us to over the next couple of years. And so I'd love to just recap these with you. And the first thing is we want to introduce more people to the story of Jesus. We want to introduce more people to the story of Jesus. We believe as a church that the story of Jesus as found in the pages of scripture, his, his birth, his life, his ministry, his, his death, his resurrection, and his ultimate return as the king of kings is the greatest story that has ever been told on the face of the earth. And it is the story that has the ability to change everything about everyone that hears it. It is the story that matters most. And we want as many people as we can to hear that story. And we will do things that others are not doing to reach the people that others are not reaching. We want to introduce people to the story of Jesus. Secondly, if you've been here, you'll remember what said, we want to strengthen our discipleship culture. Now, I recognize that that word discipleship, for some of you, you're like, I don't, you lost me already. I don't know what that means. It's a, it's a church word, a, a Christian word, and basically it means the process, the, the, the way you go about becoming and growing in your faith to be more and more like Jesus every day. And we've said as a church, as much as we want to be wide, we don't want to be a mile wide and an inch deep. We want to be a church that is wide and deep. We want to grow and mature in our faith. And the third thing, if you've been here, you'll notice we said that we want to increase our culture of generosity. We want to be the type of church 
that when people interact with us, or when they, they hear the mount, the name of the mount, whatever campus they happen to be at, they immediately might say, I'm not sure I believe what they believe. Or I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I follow that thing or I don't know about this whole Jesus thing. But man, that is a group of people who are generous with their resources. They willingly sacrifice for the least of these. It's not just this intellectual head thing. It's their heart and their hands and their feet. And so what I want to do today is I really want to kind of narrow in and focus in on this idea that we want to strengthen our discipleship culture. The idea that we want to strengthen our discipleship culture. And if you've been here throughout this series, you'll recognize that uh, throughout this series, there's been kind of one underlining, overarching verse that we have used over and over again that runs through this. And it's from Ephesians chapter 3, when Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he says this, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power, at work within us, not, not our mighty power, not our strategies, not our plans, not our dreams, not the things we cook up in a conference room. No, it's, it's through God's power at work in us. What's gonna happen? We will accomplish what? Infinitely more than we might ask or think. The idea here is, and we've said this every week, that as a church, if we would lean in corporately and individually to God, Every expectation we might have of what could be one, two, three, five, ten 10 years from now, God would blow it out of the water and he would go far above and beyond because he is a God who does infinitely more than we would ever ask, think, dream, or imagine. And so just in light of that this morning, as we talk about strengthening our discipleship culture, I have a question for you. When it comes to your spiritual life, what is the impossible that you want God to do? What would be the impossible in your spiritual life? What, what I mean by that is maybe you're here today and you're like, Adam, man, if I'm being honest, like I'm just in this, this season right now, it just feels dry. And you're like, there, there was this moment in my life where like maybe it was six months ago or, or five years ago or 20 years ago where I was, I, was, I was passionate about Jesus. I was like on fire for him. And like it, it, when I read scripture, it was like he was speaking right to me. Every time I heard a sermon, it was like they had been reading my email or seeing my DMs, whatever it was. I was like so into it and I was on fire and I was excited. But it feels like just lately, I'm just kind of going through the motions. Maybe it's, you know, coming out of COVID, trying to get back to a routine and you're watching online. Or maybe it's just the inconsistency, but you just feel dry. And you would say the impossible, Adam? <laughs> the impossible would be if you told me one year from now or three years from now, I could be on fire for Jesus again. I would say, I, that feels impossible. Maybe for you, you're just in a season where you just feel a little bit alone. Maybe you're new to the area, you, you moved here recently or you've been here a while and your schedule's busy and everyone else's schedule's busy, they're working and you're working and everyone's stuck in traffic and then they've got their kids thing and your kids thing and it just feels like you're here and you're just alone. And you would say, man, the, the impossible in my spiritual life would be if you told me three years from now I'd have a group of friends, a community that cared about me enough that they prayed for me, that they, that if I went to the hospital, they would show up, that they would be invested in my kids, 
that if I switched schools, they would still be there as a friend. If you told me that was gonna happen, I'd say that's impossible because right now I feel so alone. Maybe for you, the impossible would be, you know what, like I just, I'm in this season where I over and over and over again keep struggling with the exact same sin. And you're like, I, I've tried to get past it. Like I, I've, I've done everything I can to like, turn it over to God and it just seems like, and right, we all struggle, but there's this repeated pattern of over and over and I just, I can't move on, I can't get past it. And if you told me, Adam, in one year or two years or three years that I could be living in freedom and not dealing with this sin anymore, I would say that is impossible. Or maybe for you, just a couple more. You're in this season right now and it feels like your entire family and life is just being attacked by the enemy. Like your kids, nothing is going right. Your marriage is just being attacked. Your career, your finances, your house, whatever it is. And you would just say, man, it just feels like I'm, I, I just am struggling just to get my head above the water and breathe. If you told me in one year or two years or three years that I could be standing in a place of victory and freedom, I would say you're crazy. That's impossible. Or maybe you're here. And you're like, the impossible in my spiritual life would just be believing in Jesus. Like, I, whether it's your first time or you've been here a hundred times, right? Like, you're saying, man, I, I just don't know if I can buy into this crazy stuff. Like, the idea that a guy died 2,000 years ago in my place to save me. Like, I, I just don't think I could do that. And so, like, the impossible would be, like, if I just made a decision to follow Jesus, that would be impossible if you told me that was going to happen. What's the impossible? in your spiritual life. Here's what's interesting. It's like regardless of what your answer to that is, and just, just what if, so go with me here. What if the difference between where you are right now and it feeling impossible and the future where it's the norm and has happened is the difference between believing in Jesus and following Jesus? What if the very thing that is holding you back is simply believing? In Greek, there's the, the, the language of the New Testament. There's this word called disciple. And it's interesting, it's used over and over again in the New Testament because it was a word that was used commonly in the culture of that time. And just so we're on the same page, and some of you may know this, others of us, we just read past this word. In Greek, the, the word disciple means someone who is a learner, a pupil, an apprentice, or a student, or a follower. So, so and let me just set up the context. You can hear a lot of words, and be like, oh, that's fine, I go to school, I'm a student, my kids go to school, they're students. No, it was much deeper than that. Uh, for, to a first century Greek-speaking person, especially living in Israel, in the, in the Palestine area, the, the, the idea of a disciple was someone who consciously made a decision, made a choice that says, I am going to follow somebody else who is my teacher and my master, and I'm going to try desperately to do one thing, to learn as much as I can from them and live my life the way they lived. And so how this would play out is in secular culture or in Jewish culture at the time, they would have things they would use to write stuff down, and they would, you know, consciously decide, I'm going to follow this disciple or this, this teacher, and as a disciple, I'm going to learn from them. And so they would begin just watching them. They would follow them around. If they went to the grocery market, and they'd say, okay, he's doing that, he's doing that. So tomorrow, if they went to the grocery market, they'd be like, okay, what did my master do? I'm going to do exactly the way he, I'm going to act like him, live like him, think like him, and do exactly what he did. But the other thing is there was this expectation 
for you to be a disciple of someone because the teacher didn't want to take you on if, if you were on the fence about things. So there's this expectation that if you're going to be my disciple, I need you to say, my yes is on the table before you even ask me to do anything. In other words, I'm doing it no matter what. Now, what would you do? And they're going to tell you and you're going to do it. There was this expectation. And we see over and over again in scripture that part of this expectation of a disciple is that as they followed their master, as they followed their teacher, they would change. They would become different and they would transform into something they were not originally. We see this when Elisha gets paired up with Elijah in the Old Testament. And he says, I want to be just like you. We see this with Naomi and Ruth, where basically she says, wherever you go, I will go. We see this in the New Testament with Paul and Timothy, where Timothy basically says to Paul, whatever you teach, I want to teach. I want to memorize what you do. I want to work the way you do. I want to be the type of pastor and church leader that you are. I want to do everything that you do. And we see this in Jesus the idea was that you would become a disciple of someone else and there was this expectation that you would be changed or transformed. We see this in Jesus, Matthew chapter four, where Jesus calls two fishermen to follow him. Take a look at this. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, so two fishermen who were brothers, and they're casting their nets into the sea. That's important, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, let's pause here for a second, and we're going to break down verse 19 in a minute. But what I want you to realize is Jesus comes to these two guys who are fishing. They're doing their livelihood. And what he does not say, remember I've said this before, sometimes just as significant as what Scripture says what it doesn't say. He doesn't say, hey, follow me and believe. He doesn't say, believe in me and X, Y, and Z. No, he says, follow me, and he has this pattern. And so I want to show you this. So go back to verse 19 here. Jesus says, follow me. Well, what do you mean by this? But let's, let's pause. These two guys are fishermen. And if you know anything about kind of first century Palestinian culture at the time, is that a fisherman, if you were a fisherman, it was probably because your father was a fisherman and your kids are gonna be a fisherman and your grandkids, and it was kind of the family trait. You stayed in that role forever and ever and ever. It's what you did. And so to a fisherman, the idea of casting their nets and catching fish was everything they knew as security and comfort. In other words, their future depended on their ability to do their job. It was, it was comfort, security. It was their livelihood, their future. And so when Jesus comes to them as they're fishing, as they're casting out their nets, in essence, what Jesus is saying is he's saying, hey, drop your nets, leave them there and follow me. In other words, set aside your comfort, set aside your security, set aside your future plans and follow me. In other words, submit and surrender. Jesus looks at them and says, guys, follow me. Live a life of submission and surrender. And listen, he, says, he says, and if you do that, if you follow me and live a life of submission and surrender, I will what? I will, that was pretty weak. Let's try this again, guys. It's 11, you're, you're, uh, follow me and I will he doesn't say, follow me, live a life of submission and surrender, and you will be fishers of men, or you are fishers of men. He says, I will make you fishers of men. In other words, Jesus says, hey, if you, if you follow me, if you set aside your comfort and your security and your future 
and you live a life of submission and surrender to me, I will make you something you are not. I will change you. I will transform you. And he says, if you do that, What's gonna happen, right? Like if you, if you decide to follow me, live a life of submission and surrender, I will make you, change you, transform you into fishers of men. <laughs> In other words, if you surrender and submit to me, I will change you and transform you and I will give you a purpose and significance and worth. And not only that, and this is key, your purpose will be to do exactly to others what I have done to you. In other words, if you, live a, if you follow me and live a life of submission and surrender, I will transform you into someone who multiplies their faith. If you're taking notes, you might write this down. A disciple, based on this, a disciple is a follower of Jesus who is being transformed by their faith in Jesus and in turn multiplying that faith in others. A disciple is somebody who is being transformed by their faith in Jesus and multiplying that faith in others. For the original followers, the disciples of Jesus, there was this element, this, this expectation of change and growth and transformation. We see, we see it all throughout scripture. We see it in, in Hebrews 6, chapter, chapter 6, verse 1, when it says, let us stop going over the basic teachings of Christ again and again, but let us go on. Some of them say, let us press ahead and become mature in our understanding. The idea is that, that people, when you, when you follow Jesus, you should be maturing and growing. There is change that is expected of you. We see this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 7. It says, let your roots grow down deep into him. And let your lives be built on him, talking about Jesus. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. And you will overflow with thankfulness. If you're taking notes, you might write this down. Disciples never stop growing. Disciples never stop growing. I don't know if you know this, but your spiritual life is never complete. Like, I, well, let me preface that. It, it will be complete the day you die or Jesus returns and you're standing in heaven with him. Then it will be complete. That's kind of the whole glorification piece. But until then, on this side of eternity, earthly, your spiritual life is never complete. You should be continuously, constantly growing and growing and growing. Why? Because the God that we love and the God that we serve, the depths of his character and his goodness and his grace is so deep, it would take millenniums to find it forever and ever. Disciples never stop growing. And here's what I love about this, is that the God we read about in scripture, he acknowledges that we all start somewhere different. Right, like maybe, you, maybe you've like, this is your first day in church, and you're like, I've never been here before, and like, it, what I love about the Jesus and God we see in scripture is you don't have to get a certain amount of knowledge or information to be able to follow him. God basically looks at you and says, awesome, we're so glad you're here. You, you don't know nothing about me. Just, just lean in and go a little deeper. And maybe you're like, well, I've been following Jesus for five years. And like, I, I'm learning what it means to, to, to look into scripture and to pray better and to use my resources in certain ways. That's great. God's looking at you saying the same thing. We're so glad you're doing that. But just lean in and go a little deeper. Maybe, maybe you're like, I've been following Jesus for 50 years and I have the Old Testament completely memorized and I, I've studied so much revelation, I can tell you when Jesus is going to return. I'm that deep. Man, that, 
One, you're crazy. Nobody knows that. But two, I would say even to you, God is saying, just dive in a little deeper. Because here's, here's the beauty of the spiritual life as a follower of Jesus. This is what makes it different than belief. God accepts you where you are, but never intends for you to stay there. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you are fully loved and accepted. You don't earn it. But at the same time, God doesn't expect you or want you to stay where you are. He wants you to grow. Healthy things grow. He wants you to mature. He wants your roots to go deep. Church, I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to be the type of church where you're, you're here for, you know, two, three, five, ten years. And you're like, man, I, Adam, we love the mount. Like we're finding community there. Like my kids are, my, my kids are loving kids ministry and student ministry. And like we're, we're thriving and this is happening and this is happening. But I don't really love Jesus any more than I did when I first got there. We want to be the type of church where you are transformed and changed. Why? Because the longer you follow Jesus, the more you should live like Jesus lived. And if you're not, that's a problem. If you can follow Jesus year after year after year and never be more like Jesus, that's an issue. Because disciples never stop growing. And not only that, not only is their faith in Jesus transforming them, but they are multiplying that faith in others. Take a look at Matthew chapter 28, the final instructions that Jesus gives to his followers. It says, then the 11 disciples. Let's, let's pause for a second. Who is, who, who's he talking to? The disciples. Remember that, okay? We're gonna come back to this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had, to, had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. I love that even after all this time, they're like still doubting a little bit. So you don't have to be perfect. Even they doubted. Then Jesus came to, who did he come to? Who was them? The disciples. So he came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, what are they supposed to do? Go, and what are they gonna do? They're gonna make of all the nations. Let's pause for a second. This is a, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he tells them to go and make disciples. But it, he doesn't say the pastors should go and make disciples. He doesn't say just those who have the, the right education and the right knowledge and the right number of years following him should go and make disciples. No, no. He says to all of the disciples, your job, your mission is to go and make disciples. And what's funny is if you've been here throughout this series, we've said this. When scripture refers to the disciples and then the next book in the book of Acts, it refers to them as this Greek word idiotes, which literally means these idiots. And so what God is saying here is he's, Jesus is looking at his fellow idiots that are following him and says, your job, your mission as disciples is to go and multiply your faith. Why? Because disciples make disciples. It's what they do. It's who they are. We've said that found people find people and disciples make disciples. 
You see, this is the tension of following Jesus. We care deeply about the people in our sphere of influence who don't know him, and we desperately want them to know him. But at the same time, we make disciples. The people in our lives, we are constantly pushing and pulling and asking them to take their next step as disciples making disciples. What this means, if you're a high school student, this means that maybe you're in the locker room for your football team, or maybe you're in band class, or maybe you're sitting in the cafeteria, but part of your job as a follower of Jesus is to look around you at the people in your sphere of influence and ask the question, how can I help them pursue Jesus even more than they do today? This means that as a single mom, First and foremost, your priority as a, or not a single mom, but a stay-at-home mom, first and foremost, your priority is to disciple your kids, but that also means when you're going on play dates and when you're going to the park or when you're doing so-and-so at a family co-op and all these things, you're looking around saying, how can I help the people around me pursue Jesus more? Because disciples make disciples. It's what we do. It's who we are. You see, we think, I think at times that discipleship, this idea that I'm going to help others know Jesus is this intimate, like, one-on-one, let's sit down and have coffee and work through the book of Mark together. Yes, that's true, but it's also about the daily rhythms of your life. When you do things throughout the day, are you showing other people what it looks like to surrender and submit to Jesus so that they can do it themselves? Disciples make disciples. The call to follow Jesus means that we will continuously be transformed by our faith in Jesus, and we will seek out ways to multiply that faith in others. And so here at the Mount, like, we want to be the type of church that doesn't just go wide, but goes deep, right? And so we want to help you come alongside you and help you take these next steps in your spiritual discipleship journey. And we recognize that, like, you could be one of those people and you could say, well, I don't, I don't need the church's help. Like, I can, I can read my Bible on my own. I can pray on my own. I can do all of those things. Yes, all of those are true. And all of those personal spiritual disciplines have significant impact in your life and the way you grow and mature in your relationship with Christ. But I also know this. If you read the book of Acts, especially chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, what you see is the early church gathering. And when the early church gathered, you get this sense, the way they're in awe of each other, the way they're providing needs for each other, the way they're caring for each other, you get this sense that the early church, because of the persecution and everything that was happening, they knew they needed each other. They desperately needed each other, and they knew it. And my fear is that in the 21st century as American Christians, We just as desperately need each other and we just don't know it. And we try to do our faith alone, by ourselves. And so as a church, we wanna come alongside you and do this together. And so I just wanna show you a couple ways over the next couple years, and we call this our discipleship path. And we're gonna come back to worship, but just know everything in worship sort of funnels to this. So if you're new here at the Mount and you're like, how do I get involved? How do I take my next steps? We have this two-week experience called First Steps. And when I mean two weeks, I don't mean it's like 14 days. I mean it's like one Sunday and then the next Sunday. It's two weeks, right? So we're not asking you to sign up for a two-week thing that goes 14 days. But it's, it's this thing called First Steps. And First Steps is an incredible opportunity for you to come and hear about everything we do at the Mount. Our mission, our vision, our values, all those things. Some of the things we've been talking about. But also help you process, how can I take my next step? What environment for me? How can I serve? What can I do? And how do I meet people and begin that process here at the Mount? And so from there, you can see it opens up all these opportunities for you. And we're going to come back to these. I just want to talk about faith conversations for a minute. 
Faith Conversations is launching in January of 2024, and it's a new experience we're going to have where if you are someone who is like, man, I, I, I'm not sure about this whole Christian thing. I'm not sure about this Jesus guy. I'm sort of checking things out. I'm seeking things. Or maybe you're like, no, I've just started following Jesus, and I have so many questions. Or maybe you're like, I grew up in church, and I haven't been in 20 years, and I just I don't remember things. I have questions. Faith Conversations is a small group environment where you will get to sit down. And you'll get to sit at a table with other people in the same phase of their spiritual journey as you. And you'll get to ask questions, wrestle with hard topics, and begin to process what it means to live a life of surrender and submission, even if you have doubts. So I would encourage you. And so let's talk about the rest of these for a second. I want to show you this other slide because I think it illustrates it a little better. And so all of our discipleship environments, think of it as a funnel. And the, the, the further you go down the funnel, the more intimate and personal and vulnerable it gets. What do I mean by that? Worship is the largest part of the funnel. Worship is what happens at all of our campuses on Sunday. Worship is the environment where you can come, it's the masses, it's the people, and you can be in worship, and let's be honest, as, as challenging as it can be at times and as convicting as it can be, it can also be the least vulnerable environment. Why? Because you can come in late, you can have your latte, your coffee, come in a little bit late, sit in the back where the lights are dark. You can leave when I'm praying and the next song's about to start. You can get out quickly. You can get your kids and you can get to your car before anyone else is even out of church. Now, again, it's not a totally anonymous because some of our incredible volunteers are gonna harass you on your way in and they're gonna harass you on your way out and ask you how your day was, use their little red flashlight, help you find a seat. They're gonna do all these things. But still, the general idea is it's not very vulnerable, right? And so it's this big, welcoming kind of front door environment. Now, here at the Mount, what we would say is ideally in worship, you're attending one, you're sitting one, and you're serving in one. We believe every disciple, every follower of Jesus serves. Also, I would say if you're new to the Mount and you're looking for community, joining a serving team is one of the best ways. So that, that's worship. Now, what we would say then is you're gonna see this list, and I know what you're already thinking. I'm not doing all those, Adam. That's not what I'm about to ask you. What we would say is do worship plus one. Worship plus one. And each of these will be a different season and phase of your life. So I want to talk through these. Build classes. The funnel begins to get smaller. It begins to get a little more intimate. All of these are small group environments. All of these are where you're going to gather in tables with other people. Now, some of these range from three people. Some of them range up to 100. But you're gathering in tables. Why? Because we believe firmly as a church that some of the best life transformation that will ever occur in your life occurs in circles, not rows. Now, what do I mean by that? If I was to ask you, tell me a sermon that has completely changed your life in the past five years. Some of you would not be able to name a single thing. In fact, if I asked you to tell me half of the sermon from today after you eat your chips and salsa at lunch, you would have already forgotten by then because most of the time our memory is short. But when we get in circles, when we talk, when we ask questions, when we have accountability and we wrestle together, it sticks, it's transformation occurs. And so all of these are small group environment type things. And so for build classes, we have four of these a year. And this is a great, like if you're like, man, I'm not ready to go meet in someone's home yet. I'm an introvert and I'm not sure I can do that. I just, that just feels weird to me. Maybe a build class is for you. We have four a year, four every semester. There's one on marriage, there's one on parenting, and there is one on finances. And then the other one sort of rotates a topic. It might be we're studying through the book of Job or we're going through the book of John or something else or the book of Hosea. And it kind of does these different topics. These are great environments for you to get in where you still get to do life with people, but there's also free childcare, which is a huge win for many of you right? So I would encourage you. But if you want to go even more intimate and deeper, that's where we have small groups. 
Small groups are from between eight to 15 people. It's your opportunity to be a little more vulnerable. You're gonna gather in a home. You're gonna you know, eat a meal together. You're gonna open up scripture together. You're gonna read it and discuss it together. You're gonna share prayer requests and people are gonna pray for you. You may even begin to serve together as a small group once, you know, once a semester or every quarter outside in the community, but you're gonna do life together. And these are gonna be the people that are gonna push you and challenge you and grow you. Again, some of you, you're not ready for that. Others of you, you like can't wait to get to someone else's house and make it messy instead of yours. You're, you're excited to see how they decorate it and so you can steal ideas. Whatever it is, like you're ready to get in people's houses. And then as it gets even smaller, next year in 2024, we're launching something called mentoring. And the picture behind this is, what would it look like if we had a group of people at our church who intentionally sat down with either one, two, or three people? And you'll be able to pick, is it nine months or 12 months? And it's a set curriculum that you're working through, whether it's over coffee, over lunch, or on your walks in the park, whatever you're doing. And for nine or 12 months, you're going through this intentional curriculum with them with the intent that as they grow deep and understand this, at the end of that nine or 12 months, those people go and find one, two, or three more people. And you see this multiplying effect where you are discipling and making disciples of others. And we look up one day and our church is full of people who are making a difference in the kingdom because they're going deep. And maybe they move and go somewhere else but they're still making a difference in a kingdom wherever they happen to be because disciples make disciples. And what I love about this is this isn't the only one where you make disciples, right? Like you you make disciples in your small group. When you, when when, when somebody shares a prayer request and you say, you know what, that, that reminds me of a scripture or a situation in my life, you're pointing them back to Jesus. You are making a disciple. When you stand in worship and if you raise your hands in worship, And the person next to you sees that and they recognize, huh, that is a posture of surrender. You're pointing them to a life that follows Jesus. That's making disciples. Disciples make disciples. So here's the challenge. You're gonna hear about all these different things over the next couple weeks. And my my, my challenge is you to just pick one, to sign up. Like, all right, what's your next step? Because I know what you're gonna say. You're gonna say, Adam, I I just don't have time. Like, I I only make it to worship once every other week. Like, I'm barely here, I'm inconsistent. You expect me to do something else? Yes. And here's why. Because you make time for the things you value and the things you make a priority you show up at. What I'm asking is let's be the type of church that makes it a priority to be in community and to go deep with others. You say, but ah, it's just like a childcare and this and that. And I got all these. Yeah, you got all the excuses in the world. But spiritual growth is worth the work. It's worth it. And you're not going to see a change immediately. It's like going to the gym and then coming home that day and being like, I, I look so good. No, you look the same. <laughs> but spiritual growth is a marathon, not a sprint. And here's my challenge. What's the impossible in your spiritual life? That if it would happen, it would completely change everything. Maybe, just maybe, the gap between where you are and where that is, is being a disciple in an environment where you are being challenged and grown and multiplying your faith in others. What's your next step? What do you need to do next? 
to grow and mature. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the way that you show us in scripture how you call people to so much more than just belief. You call us to a life of significance and purpose, a life of depth and transformation, a life of multiplication in others. God, I pray we would be the type of church that is reaching wide to people who don't know you, but also growing deep for those of us that follow you. Jesus, we are thankful that you call us. If you're here this morning as we continue praying, maybe, maybe the next step for you would be the decision you've been avoiding, putting off. The decision to surrender and submit to Jesus. And just so we're on the same page, what I mean by that is 2,000 years ago, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who was born in this world, and he lived a life for 33 years. And at the end of that 33 years, he died painfully and brutally on a cross, not because it was just something, but because of your sins, your mistakes, your selfishness, your pride. He died in your place so that you could live a forgiven, sinless life and you could be in a relationship with God. He died to give you purpose, significance, and a reason. And here's what I love. God accepts you where you are. And today, you don't have to have the sin figured out. God accepts you. All you have to do is believe that Jesus saved you. Whatever campus you are at today, if you wanna make that prayer your prayer, Jesus, I surrender and submit my life to you. Just in the, the stillness and the quiet of this moment, would you just boldly slip up your hand wherever you are? If your hand is raised, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Father, I am a sinner. I need your love. Jesus, come into my life. Be my king and my Lord. Today I run, I return, I repent back to you. Amen. Church, we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing. If there's something you would like to pray about, our prayer team will be down front at all of our campuses and they would love to spend that time with you. For the rest of us, let's stand and let's sing about the faithfulness of God.